I'm Tracy McCauley. And I'm Liz Zuleika. We are cardiology pharmacists, educators, and self-declared literature crusaders. With the help of national cardiology pharmacy experts, we at Cardioscripts aim to keep you up to date. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Zach Knoll and his thoughts on the Entrust trial and dual versus triple antithrombotic therapy. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Zachary Knoll is an assistant professor at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy and a clinical pharmacy specialist at the University of Maryland Medical Center, where he practices on an adult general cardiology service. So Zach, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to to talk to us today on Cardioscripts. And I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this topic, especially with a lot of literature that's come out within the past few years looking at triple versus dual antithrombotic therapy. So excited to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, like you said, there's a, a lot of great literature surrounding this topic. And I think the fun part about it is, is, you know, we can leave a conversation and come up with some very different regimens and, um, and therapies for patients, um, all of which are evidence-based and may be correct. And we can have a fun discussion along the way. So before jumping into the discussion, we'll take a few minutes to talk about the Entrust AFPCI trial. So this came out in September of 2019 in Lancet. And the purpose of Entrust was to evaluate the safety and efficacy of antithrombotic therapy within a doxaban-based regimen versus a vitamin K antagonist or VKA-based antithrombotic therapy regimen in patients with atrial fibrillation who had undergone percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI. This was a randomized multi-center open-label study, and participants were randomized in a one-to-one ratio to an adoxaban-based regimen or a VKA-based regimen. So for those in the adoxaban group, they were placed on adoxaban 60 milligrams daily with the dose reduced to 30 milligrams daily if patients had moderate or severe renal impairment, a body weight of 60 kilograms or less, or were also using specific potent P-glycoprotein inhibitors defined in the trial. Additionally, patients were placed on clopidogrel 75 milligrams daily. In the VKA-based regimen, patients had a goal INR of 2 to 3, and were also placed on clopidogrel 75 milligrams daily and aspirin 100 milligrams daily. Patients were included if they had atrial fibrillation requiring oral anticoagulation and if they had successful PCI for acute coronary syndrome or ACS or stable coronary artery disease. Patients were excluded if they had mechanical heart valves, moderate to severe mitral stenosis and stage renal disease, if they had treatment with fibrinolytic therapy, were on chronic NSAIDs, had platelets less than 50,000, or hemoglobin less than 8 grams per deciliter. The primary outcome was a composite of major or clinically relevant non-major bleeding defined according to the International Society of Thrombosis and Hemostasis, or ISTH. The efficacy outcome was a composite of cardiovascular death, stroke, systemic embolic events, myocardial infarction, or MI, and definite stent thrombosis. A little over 1,500 patients were randomized. They were about 70 years of age. About three-fourths were male. The median chads vas score was 4, and the median has-blood was 3. Creatinine clearance was around 72 milliliters per minute, and about 52% of patients had a clinical presentation of ACS. 
For those who are on a vitamin K antagonist, their time and therapeutic range was about 63%. The primary endpoint occurred in 17% of those in the adoxaban group versus 20% of those in the VKA group. So this was found to be non-inferior, but not superior. In terms of the efficacy outcome, this occurred in 7% of those in the adoxaban-based regimen and 6% of those in the VKA-based regimen. So Zach, what are your thoughts on this trial? And really thinking about Entrust in conjunction with some of the other recent trials that have come out looking at triple versus dual antithrombotic therapy. Yeah, um, you know, I think we all knew data with adoxaban and, and comparing dual versus triple therapy would be forthcoming in light of the other trials that had been published. Admittedly, my first thought when this trial came out was uh, what patients uh, were included geogra geographically, right? So I think one important limitation from this study that um, really, it, as far as I could see, wasn't highlighted uh, very much in some of the, the press and, and media uh, was that in this trial, very few patients from North America were included, which of course we have the, the creatinine clearance uh, cutoff and black box warning uh, for adoxaban patients with a creatinine clearance greater than 95. And so um, I guess immediately that was kind of what my mind went to and knowing that adoxaban has such a, um, a, a low market share, at least in the United States. Um, and so while I read it with interest, I also, um, I, I don't know, I kind of feel like it has limited applicability to most of our patients that we treat. So these results look, you know, pretty good though, right? So dual antithrombotic therapy for everyone? Well, so uh, yeah, that's a very, uh, very compelling question, right? And so the thing that I love about this topic uh, in discussing triple therapy is that it's very much patient specific. And so, um, you know, you can take uh, bits and pieces from each of the trials and, and try to apply them to your patient population. Um, but I, I would say most patients can do dual, dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, I would venture to say that there are some patients where triple therapy may still be appropriate, um, though I know, you know myself and others are, are leaning more and more towards dual therapy based on not just Entrust, but uh, the other trials such as Augustus, Redual, and Pioneer. Going more into patients that were included, so only about 52% of patients had an ACS event. How do we go about extrapolating this to maybe our, our higher risk patients, like our STEMI or even our NSTEMI patients? Yeah. So, you know, you look across not just Entrust, but also Augustus, Redual, Pioneer. It was about 50-50 in all of those trials. Um, as far as the number of patients who presented with ACS. And, and there are further breakdowns on what percentage were STEMI. I want to say roughly 20% or so uh, were STEMI. And so I'll concede that, you know, those are the patient populations um, that you might want to, you know, consider triple therapy or at least have that discussion. But um, I think you also have to weigh in bleeding risk. And just because a patient had a STEMI, at least in my opinion, is not necessarily a reason that you have to do triple therapy, uh, particularly um, if you're using a more potent P2I12 inhibitor, such as Ticagrelor or Prasugrel, which I know is also a contentious topic um, in and of itself uh, when we're talking about uh, dual therapy. So that really leads into my next question. I mean, Zach, how do we go about extrapolating this to our other P2Y12 inhibitors like Ticagrelor um, or Prasugrel? So specifically in Entrust, you know, about 92% of patients were put on Clopidogrel. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the, the things that these trials did not do was any sort of genotyping to determine whether or not somebody was a poor intermediate metabolizer of clopidogrel. And so it's difficult for us to say uh, whether or not uh, patients would have benefited if, um, you know, say everyone was a normal metabolizer or they received ticagaglorprasigrel if they were not. Um, I will say that personally, uh, I am okay using, uh, say, Ticagrelor or, um, based on more recent data, maybe even Prasigrel in patients who are receiving oral anticoagulation, um, simply because there is kind of that unknown for me. And, you know, what if the patient is a poor intermediate metabolizer um, and you've removed, um, you know, more or less the, the vast majority of their antiplatelet effects? And so I, I think you've got a, a vulnerable period there and, and a, a situation where, uh, the patient might benefit from, from Ticagrelor or Prasigrel. That being said, if you're looking just strictly at the evidence, the data is absolutely with Colpidogrel in this setting. As you said, over 90% of, of patients in this trial uh, and the others uh, receive Colpidogrel. There's a lot of you know, discussion about dual antithrombotic therapy, a lot of excitement looking at these results in terms of bleeding. But Zach, can we really definitively say that ischemic outcomes between triple antithrombotic therapy versus dual is really non-inferior? Yeah, you know, looking across these trials, they all had a primary endpoint of, um, of, you know, of bleeding, not of ischemic endpoints per se. Uh, what I do think is interesting, though, is that we've seen a very, very consistent theme across the trials. And so, you know, meta-analyses um, and, and systematic, uh, or excuse me, meta-analyses have been published uh, of these four trials and have shown that, you know, indeed, it does appear to be safe um, from an ischemic standpoint as well. Of course, it's difficult to power that study. Um, it's much easier to power a study based on bleeding. And so um, that no doubt is, is the reason why we've, we've seen that primary endpoint for the, the given trials. But um, I think it's safe to say that, um, that it, it probably is not in fear just based on the uh, culmination of evidence to date. So Zach, you're out rounding on your cardiology service. Who are the patients? What do they look like that you would, you know, apply in trust or, or we'll even go back to like, you know, Augustus. Who are the patients that you apply this to? So um, I, and I don't want to rephrase the question, but in my mind, I've started to think of who are the patients that I wouldn't do it in. All right. I feel like uh, my default has become dual therapy in the vast majority of patients. Um, and so if I think about the patients that I wouldn't do it in, it tends to be my younger patients, um, perhaps overweight, diabetic, um, multiple uh, you know, cardiovascular events um, or vascular path. Um, those are the types of patients that I start to think about, hey, should we maybe do triple therapy and, and deviate from, um, from dual therapy simply because you know, you're, you're 50 year old overweight diabetic um, who's had his, his second MI isn't represented in these trials. And you may be able to make the argument that, that triple therapy uh, may be better for a, at least a, a short duration. So Zach, we've had a lot of good discussion, but just you know, for our audience, what are your, your final thoughts or clinical pearls for them to take away? You know, I, I guess one thing that, that comes to mind in this discussion uh, is, is dosing of the anticoagulants and um, and you know, one of the things that I've I've had come up on rounds and and throughout the course of patient care is is dosing in particular rivaroxaban based on the Pioneer AF um, PCI trial. 
Uh, and, and so, you know, that trial looked at, at rivaroxaban 15 milligrams plus a P2I 12 inhibitor. It had two other arms as well, obviously. But, um, you know, in, in my experience and in my opinion, I'm a little uneasy uh, about using the lower dose of rivaroxaban. Um, simply because I'm, I'm not entirely sure that the, the same stro stroke benefit is there. If you look at that trial, uh, no one in the trial had stroke. In fact, it was a, um, an exclusion criteria. Um, the CHADS VAS score was around three um, or a little bit more in those patients. But uh, I guess uh, it's just more of a, a word of caution uh, more than anything uh, when we're, we're dosing these, these anticoagulants. It's become increasingly complex and, and uh, a thoughtful discussion needs to be had, a multidisciplinary discussion uh, as well. I think by and large, um, I, I would say that, that dual therapy is, um, should be our default in, in most patients, just based on the fact that, that it does reduce the, the risk of bleeding. And, you know, aspirin is kind of on the out and out in a lot of ways. And this is one area that, um, that it is. And, and you know, we, we've jokingly talked about previously how, how one of our favorite things to do is stop aspirin in patients, right? And uh, I, I think we can continue to do that in, in the, the ACS and post-PCI population. I, I will say one thing that I've noticed since the, the publication of these trials is uh, an, a reflexive um, uh, reaction by members of the medical team to not do aspirin at all in the setting of ACS. Um, and this includes patients who come in pre-PCI. And so we've had to have a number of discussions educating providers that, hey, you know, Pre-PCI, patient comes in, uh, in STEMI or STEMI for that matter, uh, they absolutely still need to receive aspirin. And I would contend it's not even unreasonable to continue aspirin for a few days after the cath. If you look across these trials, most of the patients got aspirin um, for at least two to three days, sometimes up to six days or more um, uh, until they were enrolled and, and randomized. Um, and so those are just some things that, that I've noticed and observed. Um, I think we'll continue to see triple therapy decline, uh, but I do think there are select patient populations who are at a very low bleed risk, but a very high ischemic risk, uh, who may conjure some benefit, or, or at minimum, we don't really know if it's uh, as safe in them to, to discontinue aspirin and just do dual therapy. Well, thank you so much, Zach. And on behalf of Tracy and I, we'd like to thank you for your time and for joining us on CardioScripts. We're grateful to all the people who've already contributed, and we're thankful for those who have shown interest in continuing this journey with us. And the next episode will feature Dave Dixon, where he and I will discuss icosapent ethyl and some of the, the recent developments with that entity and other sort of interesting things in the lipid field. For more information, you can visit our site at cardioscripts.com. For more questions or conversation, join us on Twitter at Cardioscript. Talk to you next time. Well, Liz, did you have a nice holiday season and a good start to 2020? I did. I made um, a few New Year's resolutions. A few New Year's resolutions? Right. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm transitioning to becoming a vegetarian. Oh, vegetarian. Not to make like a statement, but just... Because you're so old because you were turning 30. Yeah, I feel like turning 30, I need to make some like pretty drastic changes because that's yeah, what you should do. The hill. Right, right.